Well, today, today we're going to talk about the two shifts of Jacob. We're starting a new series about freedom today. And I want to talk about the two shifts of Jacob. Pastor Mark last week had mentioned uh, during our teaching, if you, if you didn't catch it last week, I encourage you to hear it. It was about the three generations that we need to think in three because when God was, was, was planting the nation of Israel, he called himself the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And he always, even in the New Testament, he calls himself the, 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 the God of those three generations. And we need to think in three generations, the past, the present, and the future. And we need to even think of three generations into the future and of our grandchildren. And that is really what God has called us to do, is to be a church for generations. In fact, that's our vision, is building a church for generations. We're looking to build hope. We're looking to build families. We're looking to build community. We're looking to build the kingdom of God for generations. And so <clears throat> taking, I'm, I'm, I want to kind of uh, piggyback or springboard off of what he said and one of the things that he had said I thought was so significant, he said that God was the God of Abraham. Now, Abraham's original name was Abram. And then he said, no, 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 you're a man of faith. I'm now going to change your name to Abraham to be the sign of the blessing that is now upon you. So he's Abraham. And then he said, I'm also the God of Isaac. That was the fulfillment of the promise because Abraham couldn't have children. And he said, you're going to have generations after you. And he was the fulfillment of the promise. So he said, I'm the God of the fulfillment of that promise. But then he said, I'm also the God of Jacob, which was a third generation, which is the shyster. He didn't call himself, I'm the God of Israel. He called himself the God of Jacob, which is unusual because it's like he's saying, I'm the God of the liar. I'm the God of the deceiver. I'm the God of the one who steals from someone else. And so it's like, is that, are you really the God of that? The answer is yes. You see, God was your God. He had he had your number. He had a calling for you. He had a design for you way before you ever chose him or way before you decided to follow after the calling that God had for you. So he was a God before as he is now. You follow me so far? And so I want to springboard off of that today to talk about, about Jacob specifically. And I want to kind of change gears just a little bit here. I want to ask you a question. What if you woke up tomorrow and found that your Aunt Sheila passed away and left you $10 million in the bank? How many of you already have a plan of what you're going to do with that money, right? Many of us are like that. You ever kind of laid there and went, you know, someday if I had $10 million, okay, the first thing we're going to do, babe, is we're going to pay off our house. Yep, we're going to pay off our house. We're going to pay off your credit card debt, all the debt that you racked up at college. We're going to pay that off. Then we're going, to get a, we're going to pay off our car, forget the car. We're going to get rid of the car and we're going to get a really nice car. That's what we're going to get. And what else are we going to get? Oh, yeah, yeah. And well, maybe we'll, give, we'll, we'll put away college fund for our children and maybe oh, we should tithe it to the church. Remember that one, okay? We should tithe it to church as well, which is a million dollars, by the way. We should tithe it to the church and, uh, and that we should do that, you know, because God's blessed us. And, and maybe we'll put something into charity, into lovely projects or something. What else could we do? Oh, we could take a cruise. Oh, yeah, we won't get the peasant class. We'll get the super rich class, you know, cabin. That'll be the good one. Oh, and maybe I'll get a facelift, right? So I could permanently look like I'm smiling, right? It's how many of you have already planned out what you're going to do with that $10 million? Hello? Oh, okay. Confession time, only some of you are honest. You know the other ones you've already thought about what you would do with that big jackpot Powerball thing, you know, the big thing that's on the I-4. It's, it's amazing how we can plan for something that we don't actually have right now, okay? Let me ask you this question then. If you have a million dollars in the bank, 
what do you call that person? A millionaire, right? But if that person decided to not access that money and they let it sit there for years and years and years and even died and didn't touch that money, what are they? Lots of different answers seem to be accumulating into the word fool. What if I did take that money out, right? And I'm like, I'm going to Vegas. Woo, let's go to Vegas. I can't stand that place. But anyway, woo, Vegas. I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to go there and I'm going to get that big spinny thing called a roulette, right? And they take a ball and they spin it one way and then they throw the ball the other way and everyone just looks at it and go, and they have to go, oh, uh, uh, black 13, right? And you're like, black 13. I take all my $10 million and I put it on black 13. It goes, bing, 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 bing. And then it lands on the red. What do you call me then? An idiot, that's right, right? I'm a fool. I've just wasted all that money by spinning a ball and a little spinny thing, right? But what if I decided to take that money and I'm like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna take that money and I'm gonna change this culture. I'm gonna do something for the kingdom of God. I'm gonna take that money, I'm just gonna invest it into the lovely project. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't have $10 million, okay. <laughs> but I'm gonna, if I did have $10 million, that's what I do, right? So like, woo, right? So I put, it into, I put it into a lovely project. We're gonna build a center for it and we're going to hire some full-time people and we're gonna try and get into every school, not just in the city, because that's our vision right now, but we're gonna put it in every every county in the state. We're gonna go into every state. We're gonna change young girls' lives because the lovely project is something that many of us are invested in and we've got a passion for and we've got a vision for. What would you call me if I did that? You call me maybe a philanthropist or maybe you call me wise or you call me good or you call me a godsend or an answer to prayer, something you would call good things about me, right? But here's the thing I've been thinking about is, who is it that God wants to give those resources to? Because we have to flip this around and look at it like this, that God has the resources already. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns all the earth. Everything we need to do the things that God has called us to do already exists. So why don't we have those resources? Why is it that we haven't been able to access it? Why hasn't he given it to me? Why don't I have that $10 million in the bank? Well, maybe it's because he, he only chooses to give some to have that and some not to have. Okay, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to argue on the theology here. But what I'm trying to get at here is that God gives the inheritance to those that are ready to receive it, right? In fact, he has already given your inheritance to you and it's like it's sitting in a spiritual bank, but we haven't figured out how to access it. I don't, I don't even have the card, I don't have the number. Where is the bank? What form do I fill out? What, where, where do I go? How do I do this? That's right, because you haven't learned the skills or you haven't become the person that you need to be in order to receive those resources. We could change the word from millionaire to uh, mission field. We could, we could, we could change the, the, the word from millionaire to, to power or influence or, or whatever it is that God wants to give to you. And so we're now at the place, oh, I wanna talk about the story of Jacob because Jacob was basically, his name basically means deceiver and he was born with the name deceiver. And what had happened was he was one of two. He was a twin, but he was the second child. And so the first child, Esau, he was the one and in, those cult in, in that culture in those days, he was, the oldest child were always given the inheritance, the majority share of the inheritance from the father. He inherited the tribe. He would inherit the resources. He would inherit the power. He would inherit the, the prestige and the influence. And so what happened was 
Their mother came along and said, Jacob, Esau's not meant to inherit that very thing. He's not meant to inherit those things. What I want you to do is pretend to be Esau. Go to your father who is old and blind now. Ask him to bless you and to show to everybody that you're now going to be the one who's going to inherit it. So what he did is he went in and he pretended to be Esau. Talk about a dysfunctional family, right? You thought yours was bad. This is dysfunctional. So he goes in and he pretends to be Esau and he had a hairy neck. So they took goat skin, put it on his neck and the father touched his neck and he goes, oh, you're my, you're my son Esau. And so he said, okay, I'm going to bless you now. When Esau found out what Jacob had did, he was livid. And he's like, I'm gonna kill that son of a person, right? I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take him down. He was livid. And so Jacob had to run away for to save his life. But he had inherited the blessing from his father. He had inherited the promise of inheriting the, the, all the wealth from his father for the future blessing, the future generational blessing. And so really Jacob and Esau's dysfunction came from his parents because his father preferred Esau, but his mother preferred Jacob. And so they were in a sense set against each other in conflict. And they were set against each other in conflict that it not only separated their relationship with each other, but it really set some of the things in their personality, in their mind, in their attitudes, and in their behavior. And there are two shifts that I want to look at today when it talks about uh, Jacob, because Jacob really is, 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 a, is, a, is a major lesson for us. The first shift that he went through is he went through the shift of belief inside of himself. And we're gonna talk about that in detail in just a second. But I wanna read from Genesis 28. We're gonna catch it up right here. We're gonna jump into this little river. And it says in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, <clears throat> he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. That's the familiar phrase that you probably heard, Jacob's ladder, right? <clears throat> Verse 13, there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants. There's the first promise. He said, you're gonna be multiplying your descendants. You're gonna have generation after generation after generation. I'll give your descendants the land on which you are lying. Now, we've just been given land. And the thing, when you think about the importance of land, land has a lot of power in life. God's not making new land. He's not making new soil. And I want you, when you go up to that property, I want you to touch that land, to feel the land and go, God, you've given it to us. We're gonna use something great for this. You've made it uh, thousands of years ago. You've now handed it to us and we're gonna do something great with this soil and this property right here and right now, just as you have done on this corner that we're in here right now. The promise of land is a power in our hands. Verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. It's talking about dominion. It's talking about territory, talking about district, talking about network that would spread out across a vast area. It's very powerful to think about that you would own his own country. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. All, that's quite a big word. Everybody on earth will be blessed because of what Jacob would begin and what he would start. That's the blessing that we inherit as Christians. It says in Galatians chapter three that we've inherited the blessing of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. 
We've inherited this blessing. And God said that he would be a source and a resource, right? This is quite one heck of a, an inheritance here. Carries on. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. That's divine backup. That's like your personal bodyguard, he's saying. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Let me say it again. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. How is he not aware of it? How is it that God can turn up and he's not aware of it? It's a little bit like having that million dollars in the bank and you might have gotten message that you've got it, but you're not aware of it. The reason why he wasn't aware of it was simply because he was asleep. And I wonder if there are many of us who have been walking in our Christian walk and we're actually still asleep to the calling and the resources that God has for us in our life. We're still asleep because we actually haven't changed entirely our belief. We haven't actually believed that God has something for us. We're so busy believing what we have come from. We're believing that we're still a Jacob. I'm still kind of a shyster. I still have that behavior and that attitude. And I still have that, that history within me. I can't shake it off. I can't get rid of it. And, and I seem to always bring division between the relationships that I have in my family. And now I've just had to run away. I'm still Jacob. It's still being defined by your past. Some of you have been busy being defined by your class. You know, I'm not from a rich part of town. I'm from a poor part of town. So you've decided you should dress that way. You should act that way. And you should talk that way. Some of you have even been defined by your gender. I'm a woman. I'm a woman. And, and you know, I don't, I don't think I should preach. I don't think I should talk. I don't think I should do this because it's really hard for a woman to make it in life. And, and there's such a battle out there for the sexes and, and the, the, the business or, the, or, the, or the, the, the vocation that I'm trying to get into is really kind of ruled by men. And, and it's really hard and I don't really want to do it. You're being defined by the fact that you're a woman, but God has never called you to be defined by the fact that you're a woman. It's great that you're a woman. I like women. One especially. Well, some of us are even being defined by our race. I'm black, I'm white, I'm brown, I'm yellow, I'm purple, because I've been in the sun. Red, you've been burned, whatever it is. But sometimes you've been defined by the tension of culture. And we have a history of this tension in our culture where we have people who gather together in one area and it's like, that's the Latino quarter. This is the African-American quarter. Oh, this is the white quarter, and we've, we've done that in our culture, and we've allowed that to get bled inside of us, and we've even brought it into churches. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is that we're not defined by our color, but we're defined, and, and, and we should be defined by the content of our character, as Martin Luther King said. More so, God defines us by that as well. And we can't afford to be the type of people who are even defined by our income bracket. I didn't come from a lot of money, so therefore I can't act like I've got money and I'll scrape and, and scrimp for every penny. And it's good to look after every penny, but you're defined by dollars and not defined by millions. 
You're not defined by the things, the blessing that God has for you. Some of us are even defined by our culture. And I get it because I'm from Scotland, right? It's really hard sometimes to, to, to constantly think like a Scots. And it might sound like it's a wonderful thing. But when you're a, 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 when you're a foreigner in a foreign, in a foreign uh, um, country, sometimes you have this challenge that you can't integrate yourself mentally and emotionally and relationally with other people because you're so busy thinking a different way. When the fact is, God doesn't want me to think American or Scottish. He wants me to think kingdom in the name of Jesus. Come on. And I believe that God has put, placed a, 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 ment, a, a spiritual million dollars in the bank for most of us, but we don't know and we have not accessed this very thing. It's time for us to make a shift, right? There's a shift that I think most of us have already made, and it's a shift of belief that God has more for me, that he wants me to do more. There's a shift of a belief within us, and we believe that God has called us to do it, and we want to do it, we think we're called to do it, but we haven't been able to get to the second shift that I believe that God has called us to, and it's this. It's a shift in behavior, and this is a little bit different because your behavior has to match your belief. You can say that you believe that you're called for more, but if your behavior doesn't act like it, then have you been called for more? Do you actually believe it? You could say you believe you have a million dollars in the bank, but if you've not gone to access it and do something with it, are you truly a millionaire? When you die and you haven't touched any of that, did you die as a millionaire or did you die as a poor person? Hello. There has to be a connection in our behavior with what we say our belief is. Picking up a story again with Jacob, Jacob then went off and, and as he ran away from his brother and he had that dream he ran off into a far country and he came across his uncle. So he went to work for his uncle and in due time he got married to two wives and then he got uh, two servant, two servant women that served his wives and then he had many children, he had 11 children and he, and he grew in business. He was very good at business and he prospered his uncle and he prospered the tribe. In fact, the tribe got really quite large. And he got to the place where he grew, he got hundreds of sheep and hundreds of, of, of camels and donkeys and goats and he, and he really prospered. He did great for himself. And it would look like that God had prospered him with all this wealth, that God's blessing was upon him and look what he had prospered. He got, he got marriage, he got children, he had wealth, he, had, um, he could go on vacations and cruises if he wanted to, he had any car he wanted. He was a wealthy fellow until he decided to fight his uncle. And until he decided to dupe his uncle and he decided to take, he sent his uncle on a job somewhere else and then he took all his tribe and all his people and he ran away from them because he didn't want to be around them because his uncle was actually quite a bit of a taskmaster. And as he was running away, his uncle was chasing after him and he was scared for his life. And then he got to a place where, where as he was going towards the direction of where he came from 20 years prior, he got news that his brother was looking for him and was coming towards him with 500 men and he was now stuck between a rock and a hard place. I wonder how many of us need to be stuck between a rock and a hard place. Some of us are looking to, to, to build up our wealth and build up our comfort in our life and I'm, I'm not against wealth and I'm not against comfort but it can't be the ultimate thing that we've been called to and I believe that when God has put a vision and a calling in your life, eventually he'll put you 
between a rock and a hard place to get the vision outside of you, to get it to manifest itself. So we're going to pick it up here in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 30. It says, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. He separated himself from what defined him. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled him until daybreak. Who is that man? It doesn't actually say who the man was. But later on, it says that he saw God face to face in that place. Some theologians believe it was an angel. Some believe it was actually Christ himself. But regardless, this man wrestled him. And it was a changing moment for Jacob in his life. We're going to continue on. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. When the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak, Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Wait, 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 Jacob was already blessed. He had already received the blessing for his father. Then he had a prophetic dream of the Jacob's ladder where he says, I will bless you with all this stuff. Why was he asking for blessing again? Because he had been so busy building up his own blessing, he hadn't taken hold of the blessing that God actually wanted for him. Hello. Now, this is the question that God asked him right in that moment. This is really significant. He said, what is your name? What is your name? Jacob, he said. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. An old man said this to me years ago. He said, son, never trust a man without a limp. Never trust a man without a limp. Because the one who has wrestled God is going to come off injured. Because you have to be broken by God to be able to take on and take hold the things of God. Why? Because he needs to break off your culture. He needs to break off your past. He's got to break off the way your families used to do things. He's got to break off what you think about yourself because of your gender. He needs to break off the things that you think about yourself because of your color. He needs to think, break off the things that you think about yourself because of your income bracket, because of your religious background. Whatever it is that is holding you back and stopping you from acting like you're a millionaire, God has to break that off. Years ago, I feel like that God actually asked me this question too. He asked me the question of, what is your name? And I hadn't actually connected the dots of this scripture, you know, years ago. It was about maybe five years ago or so. And uh, and I remember I was in Scotland at the time, and I started writing down what it was that I did, right? You know, what what, what, he said, you know, what do you do? And I'm thinking, what do I do? What do I do? Who am I? And I started asking this question of myself, and I wrote it down on my little little notes that I have on my phone. And I came up with the answer, and I'm like, well, I'm a husband. uh, I'm a father. Um, I guess I'm a musician. I've done lots of, you know, albums, music albums. I'm a graphic designer. Uh, I guess I'm a pastor as well. 
I'm a teacher. Uh, I, I guess I'm a businessman. I've got some investments. Um, I am a writer as well. And I was looking at it going like, oh, wow, I do quite a lot. But the thing that really came down to me for was, was this. When I looked at the list, I realized that all those things were things that I did. I was being defined by what I did. And in fact, that's what we do in our culture. What's your name? Oh, my name is Tom. What do you do? I'm in, I'm in finances or I'm in, I'm in dentistry. We're defined by what we do and we're constantly defining each other by what we do. And what happens is I believe that we actually raise our children up this way as well. We find out what they're good at and then we put them in classes or we put them in pursuits that actually def- they really connect the things that they have been turned out to really do, right? And then we do that with the rest of our lives. We go off to college, we go off to university, and then we'll get a, a degree in something that we seem to maybe have some interest in, but it seems that that's what we were good at. So maybe I'll go off to college and I'll become an engineer. And then once I've finished being being an engineer, then I'm like, well, where should I work? I don't have a plan necessarily for what I'm going to become or what I'm going to do. I just, I know I need to get a job, so I'll get a job and then I'll I'll become an engineer in real life. And then once I'm an engineer, I start making money and I'm like, oh, I'm making money now. This is good. Well, maybe now I can afford a wife. (laughs) Oh, you'll never afford a wife. Okay. Um, So maybe you can afford, you know, you now afford to get married and you'll get married and then you'll get, uh, you'll you'll maybe get a house and you'll have a vocation. You'll build up your vocation and then you maybe have children Then you start laying up for the future. And then something happens to many people right in the middle of their life. And, And even psychologists have a name for it. They call it a midlife crisis. What is a midlife crisis? A midlife crisis is basically this. It's when you realize you don't know why you're doing what you're doing. And if you're asked, why do you work as an engineer? Well, it's because I'm good at it. Well, because I'm paying bills. It's because I'm trying to support my children to go through school. It's because I'm paying for my home. I'm paying for my mortgage. And yet it doesn't give you fulfillment or joy enough inside of yourself. Why? Because you haven't become the thing that God has actually called you to be. You see, many of us have maybe become an engineer, but inside you're really a missionary. Inside maybe you're a youth pastor. Some of us are so busy living our lives on the outside that maybe you're a school teacher, but really inside you have a desire to adopt orphans. Some of you have become doctors or nurses and, and it's great to, to be these different things or, uh, that, that are very good for the world, but there's something that is not fulfilling completely within you. It's not that your job isn't a good job. Some of you even stay-at-home mothers, but something inside of you says, I'm a world changer. There's something inside of me says, I am ready to change this world. And if you don't take hold of it, depression can start to set in. You have to take hold of it and you've got to wrestle this to the ground. Why is it that there'll be such a problem that you can't decide to become a world changer? Well, it's because I don't have the time. It's because, you know, I've got to stay home with the kids or because I've got to do my job. Listen, God has a million dollars in the bank. He has all the resources he wants to give you right now. You have to start acting like it's true. Your behavior has to match up with your belief. Sometimes it has to come to the place where God will be happy with you to get to a really bad place in your life. Why? Because he needs you to get stuck between a rock and a hard place. He needs you to get to a place where you'll decide to say, I am going to wrestle God to the ground. And until you bless me, you can take all of this away from me. It doesn't mean anything to me anymore. 
I love my children, I love my job, I love my spouse, I love what I'm called to do, but that's not my ultimate end. My ultimate end isn't that I'm just a mother or father, even though those are great things. My ultimate end is that I have to finish off the job that Jesus came to begin here, and that is to bring more people into the kingdom of God. That's my job, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. Hello. We are Christians, and all the resources that God has put into our hands, I believe he wants to bring them into our hands so that we live out the blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that is that every nation will be blessed through us. But does it mean that we're gonna prosper every person that comes across us? It's more than that. The blessing is the fact that we are now have our name in the Lamb's Book of Life. The blessing comes that we are known and that we know God. And I believe that one of the biggest struggles that many of us have that I've really discovered is that we can't let go of our own cultures of who we are. We're Jacob's walking around thinking we're still liars and deceivers. How could God ever trust me? He said he's got a million dollars for me, but really, can I, should I? I don't don't know if I'm that person. Years ago, Pastor Mark took a, a moment with me when we were together and uh, we were just having a glass of wine together and he just said, you know I'm now passing the church to you. And I said, I-, I got my suspicions. And he said, that means I have to let go and you need to take hold. And as he said it, scared me just a little bit. And I knew this, that as he said it, I had to change. And that's really difficult for me. I don't know about you. It's difficult for me. And I didn't know how what form it was going to come in. I didn't know what it was going to take, what I was going to have to do to try and change. And then one day, about a year, two years later or so, one of my clients called me up and said, hey, I have this old sports car and uh, I want to get rid of it. And I said, oh, what is it? And he says, an MGB. I said, oh, I've always wanted an MGB. It's really cool, right? Which means I'm cool because I have one, right? And I've always wanted one since I was four years old. And then, and then I'm like, yeah, this would be cool. I should get an MGB. This will be awesome. And so I, I asked my wife, I said, what do you think? And she said, well, how much is it? And I said, well, $5,000. But I just checked online. It's actually worth $10,000. But he's selling it to me for $5,000. So what I did is I started kicking in all this uh, uh, justification in my head that I, 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 if I don't, if I shouldn't have it, and I really, you know, it's it's like it's not it's sinful, and I shouldn't have this. Then maybe what I could do is I could sell, it and then I'll make money, and I'll be godly. And I start justifying how I'm going to go about buying this car. So then I went back to my wife, and I'm like, Do you really think I should buy this car? I mean, I don't need it. It's just really cool, and you know, I just. And he goes, No, I think you should get it. I'm like, all right, you know, well, well, I'll think about it. There's my second way of trying to stop God's blessing in my life. So I'm like, okay, I'll go think about it. So I was thinking about it. Then I went back to my wife and I'm like, what? I'm not sure if I should get this. And he's like, well, what's the problem? Well, you know, where I come from in my culture in Scotland, a pastor can't afford to look like he's wealthy because it means that he is he's not really walking with God, right? He's not really holy. The way that you look like you're holy in my culture is don't just have enough, but don't have too much. That's what it is. In American culture, there's a lot of theology where it's like, have as much as you want because that's a sign of blessing for God. Neither of those two things are right. It's not how little you have or how much you have that shows that God has got blessing in your life. It's who you become. 
That's what the sign is for your blessing in your life. And so I'm like, well, I don't wanna, I, I feel awkward if I get it and someone sees me and how weird would I be? And I'm like, I'm not really sure. I'll think about it. So then I went back to her like a fourth time and I said, do you really think I should get this car? And then she said this. She said, don't ask me again. <laughs> you know when your wife does that? You're like, really? Okay, well, um, yeah. And I felt like a child. I felt stupid because I kept on asking the same question when I knew what her answer was. But it's, the problem was is because something hadn't changed in me. There was something in me of my culture and my, my religious culture and my background and I still couldn't accept that God would want to give something to me just for the sake of giving it to me. And I'm trying to think, well, how will I use this for the kingdom? How do I use this for godly things? There was no use for the kingdom as far as I could see. It was just to have. But what God was trying to do in me was to break that curse within me that comes from my religious background and my culture and it's got to be broken in this church in the name of Jesus. And here's what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to tell you to do it. I'm telling myself to do it because I'm the lid here. And this is a confession of repentance that I am saying I am no longer gonna believe that way and I'm not gonna act that way. It doesn't mean I'm gonna go out and start buying stuff that I don't need. No, not at all but that I will stop refusing the things that God is trying to put into my hands. I will stop through my behavior and through my mouth and through my thinking, thrusting things away from God that when he says, I want you to do this, you're like, no, no, that's not me. That's not for me. I don't know if I can handle that. That's not the type of person I am. How many times has someone come up to you and said, you're blessed and God wants to give you great things so that you can go off and do great things. And part of you is like, I, I don't know about that. You know, well, maybe you might pick someone. And you instantly start saying things to shut it down and to shoot it down. And God is like, what are you doing? Why do you keep shutting down what I'm trying to give you? There are so much out there, so many people out there who need to receive Christ and I need to use you. You are my vessel, but God, I'm a liar. I'm Jacob. I'm not the one. I don't care who you are. I've chosen you. You're the one that I have chosen and many of you need to change your mind about this. You need to wake up. Stop, stop complaining about your past. Stop complaining and living to the standard of how your mother and your father rejected you. The difficult things that you've gone through, the trials and tribulations that you've suffered. I lost my father, I lost my mother. I don't have a husband, I don't have a protector. Listen, God has a million dollars in the bank for you. He has more resources than you could ever imagine. Who is he looking for? He's looking for the person who has got the behavior, the attitude, and the response to receive it in the name of Jesus because you're trusted enough to go use it now. Come on, someone shout hallelujah. It's time that we come to the end of ourselves. It's time for us to be broken. I took encouragement in the fact that for Jacob, it took 20 years. I don't want another 20 years to pass for me. I want to count the last 20 years as the ones that I've spent and I'm now ready for the wrestle. I'm ready to be broken. I'm ready to be rid of all my comfort and my wealth and I wanna take hold of the things that God has called us to. Are you with me on this? Because there are so many world changers in this room right now. This church is probably 100% the size of what it should be. That doesn't mean we're about to build a huge building that everyone's gonna come in and gather together. No, it might mean that you actually have to go plant a church. It might mean that you actually have to go start a group. Some of you, you are called to start a group. 
And you need to just take a step of faith. You know that God's put it in your heart, but you keep saying, no, it's not me, it's not me. I'm saying, you need to become it. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that every person will have this vision stirring up inside of them. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I know we've taken a few minutes longer than we should this morning, but in the name of Jesus, this is the right moment for many of you to make a decision today to say, I am done with being stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm gonna become who I'm meant to become. Some of you have been called to be multimillionaires. Not so that you can have the money and you can look like some rich guy that goes and gambles at Las Vegas, but because you are trustworthy to build the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus. Some of you have been called to be teachers. You've been called to be mentors. You've been called to be preachers. You've been called to be shepherds. You've been called to be evangelists. In the name of Jesus, may it come forth in the name of Jesus. Be broken of those old habits. Be broken of those old mindsets. May it rise up and come forth in the name of Jesus. Today is a changing day because I'm confessing that I'm choosing to change myself as a pastor. And so therefore your lid is off. I am no longer going to be an excuse for you. You're running out of excuses. You're running out of minutes and hours to stay asleep. It's time to wake up and to see what God has called you to. He has a place for you. He has got a design for you. And I am so excited for what he has got in store through you. May God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.